Once upon a time in Hollywood, a legion of friends set off on a quest. They banded together in adventure to investigate a report of missing dwarves in a place believed to be where magical skills are discovered and mystical tools are forged. Throughout this campaign, dragons were slayed and a sinister gang of trolls were defeated as these friends ventured deeper into the strange realm of this fantasy world. This week, we're taking you with us into a story that started around a Dungeons & Dragons campaign in the suburbs of Los Angeles. This tale brings to life imagination and collaborative storytelling and highlights health with the help of this timeless role-playing game that's been around since the early 1970s. Think Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones, Stranger Things, Harry Potter... A game where friends as fictional characters embark on imaginary adventures within a fantasy setting. Each game is a quest, and each quest has a challenge. Ultimately, players must rely on one another for survival. But what happens when one of those friends is faced with a real-life challenge? And how does a game based in fantasy offer answers in reality? It's called The Last One Out, and our story starts here. From the studios of Home Productions, I'm Brooke Bechtold, and this is Impactually. Can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear me? I'm trying to find. All right. I'm going. How does this sound? It sounds fantastic. Okay. Okay. Where are you? I'm standing in my closet trying to hopefully, hopefully all the clothes will dampen some of the background noise. But you're not going to suffocate or hotbox yourself, right? You know, I don't really have a closet door. It's just because it's all studio, so... Jacob, can you introduce yourselves to us? We want to know who you are. Where do you live? What do you do for a living? I'm Jacob. I live in Los Angeles. Uh, uh, darn it, son of a... I had this. I had this. I practiced this. We've got this. <laughs> My name is Jacob. I'm a writer in Los Angeles, and I'm a dungeon master. Jacob Motz grew up in the land of storytelling. Los Angeles. He's 28, about 5'10", sports a well-trimmed beard, and dresses to impress. Think the Dos guy, a younger version of the most interesting man in the world. Jacob attended American University, earning a double major degree in film and media arts and political science. His childhood and family life has always centered around the importance of creative outlets, specifically play, games, and movies. Growing up with games allowed structure, where sometimes structure wasn't. It's a team-building exercise structured around rules and objectives, and it's sort of, gaming especially, allows uh, an outlet for creativity and imagination. I consider myself a storyteller. 
And that's what draws me to Dungeons and Dragons. I was first introduced to the world of Dungeons and Dragons by my cousin Andon. Uh, he, I remember we were at my grandparents' place. We were in their basement, and he had this book. It was a huge, thick book. And it looked like it was encrusted with gems and emeralds and had these leather latches to them. It was all printed just on the cover, but it, it was enticing. And you would open it up, and it would be sketches and paintings of this fantastic world of the different shapes and types of elves and dwarves and half-orcs that you can be and humans and the dragons. And, and it was this world that I'd never seen before that completely sucked me in. Dungeons & Dragons, or D&D, is a fantasy role-playing game that dates back to 1974. It's different from a traditional board game. The only similarities are that it includes dice and is best played in a group of about four to six. And unlike most games in general, it's not competitive. It doesn't end with a win. D&D is a continuous story, kind of like a good Netflix series. Each time players gather, it's an episode, and episodes are strung together by season, with the next episode starting where the last left off. And like any successful saga, D&D games can go for years. Here's how it works. Each player in the group creates a character for themselves, and that character stays with them for the duration of their stay in the story. They choose their race, their class, and background. This is real fantasy, so some of the characters' terms include human, dragonborn, and elf, barbarian, ranger, sorcerer, charlatan, hermit, and noble. The fate of each character is based on the roll of the dice. The games are maintained by the dungeon master, who's the game's referee and the storyteller. He or she maintains the setting in which the adventure occurs. Players, in character, interact with one another and with the inhabitants of this magical world. The maddening thing about Dungeons & Dragons is there is no concrete objective. The objective of Dungeons & Dragons is to have fun. A lot of people like to think that it is a board game, uh, but it's not. Uh, Monopoly, Risk, those are board games because they have a board that you play on and there's pieces and you move around the board and things happen. Dungeons and Dragons is what's called a tabletop role-playing game and you could have some sort of board. You can get miniatures and people will build full sets basically that are movie level of quality of living in these little worlds. Um, but I typically play in something that's called Theater of the Mind, where you just sort of talk back and forth, and it's almost like improv, but with dice. Professionally, Jacob is a writer for network television. Currently, he's on the Good Girls writing team for NBC. Script writers work collaboratively to develop characters and storylines. There's a lot of talking back and forth. And the minds imagine and detail the objective of each show and create options for each character's next steps. Sound familiar? Much like the role of a dungeon master, they decide the direction of the story. I asked Jacob to give me an example of a scene set from his Dungeons and Dragons table. Okay. So, usually we will be sitting around a table of some sort. Uh, there'll be beverages and snacks out and everybody has a sheet of paper 
that describes their character with numbers associated with certain skills uh, and how good or poorly they can do those skills. And then there's me, the dungeon master, who is describing the world around them and giving them options of what to do. So for example, let's just say we're in a tavern and you can smell the boar roasting over an open fire and it's smoky inside and there's laughter coming from a group of orcs in the corner. They look a little mysterious. You don't know what's going on over there. And there's a gnome bard with his little hat and he's like playing some bagpipes and dancing away. And then all of a sudden, the roof of the inn just rips open and there's a red dragon barreling down on top of you. Everybody's running, but you see in front of you, there's a sword, a bow and arrow, and a magic staff. And then this is where I get to say, what do you do? So what would you do? Fletcher Pintersnoot is a skilled archer and human ranger filled with a restless compulsion for adventure. Born to the respectable family of aristocrats who occupy Pintersnoot Manor, Fletch was raised for nobility until the day he felt the irresistible pull towards Kismet. As a ranger, his job is to protect the boundaries between civilization and the wilds, but prefers open spaces and has worked hard to be considered a kindred spirit. He is fiercely loyal too, and protective of his fellow party members, preferring to be the last one out of any conflict. They are his closest friends and his family away from home. My name is Jay Gehrig. I live in Altadena, California, which is kind of a, an extension of a long arm of northeastern Los Angeles. Um, I just graduated from UCLA last year, and I'm an office manager at a post-production house. There's a real stigma um, about California and Los Angeles that I remember growing up in the Midwest. And when you, when you actually get out here and meet people like the Matzes, the amazing Matzes, uh, you, you just realize that it's, it's just, I, I love, I love Los Angeles and you, I, you'll never get me out here. Jay Garrick is Fletcher Pendersnoot's alter ego. He's just shy of 40, grew up in Michigan, and moved to L.A. about 15 years ago. He's worked as an extra in a number of films and recently graduated from UCLA with a degree in art history. A few years ago, he joined a church where he met his wife Megan, the Mott's family, including Jacob, and a number of other people, or amazing humans, as he loves to call them. I met the indispensable Jacob Motts attending the same church that they attend. My church had moved from Studio City to Woodland Hills um, to be a, a bigger facility. Um, and in the process of, of the longer commute and also just the exploding into a, a megalopolis you know, church, I was kind of falling out of love with it, I guess. I wasn't having the sense of community, so I was looking for another community to belong to. And the Matzas are just such amazing humans, all of them. Jacob came back from college, and I I can't remember. He had either been playing D&D before college and had stepped away from it at college and wanted to get back into it, or he had discovered it at college. But at any rate, he came back, and he talked to Megan and I, and he said, hey, I, I want to get a Dungeons & Dragons table together. Would you be interested? And I was like, 
emphatically, yes, I have wanted to play this game forever, but I grew up in a fundamentalist Christian family and it was strictly forbidden. Um, and so there was this forbidden fruit aspect of it that I was like, oh my God, yes, I want to play this game so badly. And we wanted, like, you want to hang out with your favorite people. And Dungeons and Dragons just gave us kind of an excuse to hang out. And I don't know if that was the intent from the beginning, but it's definitely what turned out to be true. And so we all developed our own characters. And everybody's first character, in my experience, it's probably not universally true, but in my experience, everyone's first character is just kind of a carbon copy of yourself. But it's like the... it it becomes like this idealized version of yourself. Is it a carbon copy of yourself that other people know or only you know? I would say probably that other people know in the beginning, but that's, but part of the process is it, it, I think you start to, you start to become emboldened. Um, as you play and you put more and more of yourself out there um, at the table. And put more of himself out there, he would. Newly married and recently graduated, Jay broke the news to the group that he had cancer. We'll be right back. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Impactually. The team at Hum Productions works hard to leverage our episodes with the incredible and inspiring impact of our guests. If you want to support the show and be more in the know of what's coming up with Impactually, you're invited to support us on Patreon. Whether it's branded swag, earning producer-level credits, gaining access to scripts, or learning what's happening behind the scenes, you can get those and more if you go to patreon.com forward slash impactually. That's patreon.com forward slash impactually. Jacob told me that you were diagnosed with cancer a few years ago and that you shared the news of your upcoming surgery with your Dungeons and Dragons group one night. Can you tell me about that? So the, like, I found out about it on December 2nd, 2017 was when I got the diagnosis. The diagnosis was dermatofibrosarcoma protuberance, or DFSP for short, a rare form of cancer that started as a solidified and gently discolored growth on his hip. Since it often starts with symptoms similar to benign skin conditions, it can be difficult to diagnose early. Jay thinks he had been there for about seven years. I found out on a Friday and our next session was uh, a week later on Saturday. And I hated to be, you know, a downer at the beginning of the meeting, but it was just, it, these are people that I love and are very important to me. And they're people that I am vulnerable in front of on a regular basis, just playing this game. Like I, I absolutely need these people to be there for me. I need their support and I need them to know and how convenient that right away, I, I, they, we are all going to be gathered together anyway. And they all, they, they heard me and they listened and then we got our session on and we played and it was, it was nice to be able to, to, 
to confide in people like that and then to have just the immediate and complete distraction from the, the bad news. The ability to show up to a place and go to a world that wasn't ours and to be someone that wasn't me. It was amazing therapy to just get to put myself and the dread aside and be somebody else who, who didn't have cancer. Turns out that Dungeons & Dragons has been used as a supplemental tool in group therapy models for decades. But to explain this and the incredible power role-play games can share with children and adults alike, we had to turn our attention and our browsers to search. Dungeons and & Dragons and mental health. We wanted to see if this was a thing. We quickly hooked into Dr. Megan Connell, who is a board-certified psychologist. Licensed in both North Carolina, Virginia, and Washington State, she started her practice in the United States Army, where she served for seven years, including a deployment to Iraq. She lives and works in Charlotte, North Carolina, where she's built her therapeutic dungeon master groups around these role-playing games. And in her spare time, she even plays a number of D&D games with friends from around the country. How long have mental health professionals been using and studying the benefits of play therapy? Do you know? Uh, for a long time. Um, so, And I think it's important to note that using tabletop role-playing games, it's not completely a new thing. Um, family therapy, play therapy, all those things have been really big since, oh gosh, it's been a while since I had to remember all this stuff for my licensing exams. <laughs> me, but I think like the 60s and the 70s is when those things really started taking off. Um, early play therapy uh, is very influenced by psychodynamic of believing that play is where the id can come out and express itself and make unconscious desires known. Um, newer forms of play therapy of helping kids express themselves through play and also drama therapy to help um, not just kids, but adults as well, express themselves through drama, through enactment. Um, that's been around for, oh gosh, 50 years now. But the challenge with anything with therapy is getting people to participate. Um, what floored me when I was in graduate school, taking my classes on group therapy was just how much more effective group therapy is than individual therapy. But the problem is people don't want to go to group therapy. Um, and so it's a lot of these interventions are incredibly powerful and very good at helping people. But the problem is they can't help people if people don't come. And so that's been the biggest challenge is how do you get people to show up? And that's one of the beautiful things that we have with using tabletop games is people just show up. Like they, they're excited to show up and roll dice and tell a story. And it, it's not so much about all right, come on in, and we're going to learn about how to say no this week. It's, okay, you're going to be asked to go on an impossible mission, and your character is going to realize that. And so how does your character stand up to authority to exercise their right to say no? One of the games that Dr. Connell uses is Dungeons & Dragons, or variations of it. In fact, she's been playing for fun most of her life. So I first started playing D&D when I was in middle school. Uh, then I took a really long hiatus, and it wasn't until... 
Uh, I had moved to Virginia, actually, that some of my family and I started playing. And it was kind of fun. And it was sort of through my own playing that I realized what a powerful therapeutic tool D&D could be. Dr. Connell primarily works with young girls in her play therapy groups. Her first official therapeutic group was formed in 2017. Uh, so some of the people I was seeing individually, I asked them if they'd be interested in coming. And a lot of them did. And so I was just trying to do a proof of concept. Um, and was able to get that proof of concept. Uh, the story I often tell is there's one girl in my first all-girls group came up to me and said, I just want you to know something. My friends were asking me to do something. It was a, I don't remember what. I think it was like give them a ride or something to a place this person didn't want to go. And she's like, I felt myself about to say yes. And then I thought about my D&D character. And I realized my D&D character would say no. So I said no. And I was like, that's it. That's my... Pr- All right, we... <laughs> We got something here. Let's go with this. It's wonderful to see how um, how much it can help people and how it can help us grow. So it really is this amazing gift that it gives us to be able to think outside our own experience and to try different things that we might not normally try. It gets us outside of our own skin, and we have to see the world from our character's perspective, and that different perspective can help us build empathy and compassion and understanding. And it, gosh... We're in a world right now where we really need a big, big dose of empathy. (laughs) Oh, no kidding. Educators are using Dungeons & Dragons as a collaborative approach to teach the skills needed in decision-making and critical thinking. You are both an educator and a therapist, so can you help us understand how you use D&D? You've taught taught me a little bit how you use it with your patients, but what is the age range and is, does this work as well for children and adults? Uh, so really, it can be used with any age. It's just you want to be intentional in thinking about your audience. Um, I've used groups with a mixed age of 11 to 18, and it's been fine. Um, though I tend to like having them split up a little bit more by like middle school versus high school versus adults. Um, one for just informed consent reasons. Um, but then also the high schoolers have some different topics that we can tackle that aren't quite developmentally appropriate yet for the middle schoolers. Um, or we can talk about them in a different way for the high schoolers versus the middle schoolers. So I think you can really use it with any age. It's just a matter of how much detail are you going into with different topics and um, what are people comfortable with. It would seem to a layperson like me that D&D could be beneficial to helping anyone struggling with not only mental health issues, but also other life issues. Does it help you acquire the skills that you need to figure out whatever issue it is that you're struggling with? It certainly can. It won't always, but it it certainly can. And like, one of the things I love about D&D is that it's not there isn't one solution for a problem it really was the reason why I wanted to start using it because like I had some pretty big revelations about myself through playing D and I was like, Oh wow. Okay. There's some stuff I need to work on. And I wouldn't have figured this stuff out if I hadn't been playing this game. And so it's really interesting how those things can come out and like how our characters can fill different needs for us. Now it is not a substitute for therapy. While you can learn things about yourself and you can go on this journey of self-discovery, your dungeon master is under no obligation to be your therapist unless you're specifically in a therapeutic group. And even then, it's a group therapy setting, and so that's a different relationship than individual therapy. And so I think that that's also something important for dungeon masters to recognize, too, is like sometimes 
our players have wounds that they're bringing to the table. And maybe they're wanting to play out those wounds or to try and understand the world through playing D&D. And again, dungeon masters are under no obligation to therapize their players. Indeed, they should not because they do not have consent to do so. And that's opening up a whole big can of worms if they don't want to. Um, But one of the other hats I wear is I'm the co-founder of a company called Geeks Like Us. And through that company, I've produced a series called Psychology at the Table, where I try to give Dungeon Masters tools to help their friends. And so it's not a series to turn Dungeon Masters into therapists. It's, we are all humans who play this game. Some of the humans who show up to your table are going to have struggles. And here's ways to help identify what types of struggles they're having and how to help them. Here's how to, you know, sit with somebody who's depressed and maybe help them reach out to get therapy. Here's things to look for when somebody's having a panic attack. Here are things that are helpful to do. You know, here are some things that maybe you want to avoid. Um, Because our stuff can't help but show up in our characters and in our worlds and in our play. But it also does give us that opportunity to practice and to be kinder, to be more thoughtful, to be bolder, to be ruder, to be more impulsive in a place where there's not real-world consequences. (laughs) And that is wonderful freedom. At the time of recording right now, America is not in a good place. Coronavirus going on, we have all these protests about, you know, for Black Lives Matter. And one of the big messages is listen to someone else's experience that isn't your own. And a lot of people have a hard time understanding that sometimes the best thing you can do is listen and to witness and to have compassion for what someone else goes through. And I think playing tabletop games, it doesn't solve the problem by any stretch of the imagination. But what it does do is it helps us increase our ability to listen because it helps us walk in other people's shoes. It helps us to understand experiences that are not our own. And it's through doing things like that, that we build compassion, that we build empathy. Dr. Connell is also part of a growing number of educators who are finding that D&D is a fantastic tool to spark conversations about literature, history, even mathematics, and more. Brian Foglia, founder of South Jersey Sudbury School, says, quote, The ability to imagine, design, and role-play a character who has a background from an imaginary universe with its own rule context is immensely sophisticated. Practicing this confers many emotional benefits, including increased empathy skills, negotiation, problem-solving, teamwork, and social maneuvering. These are all immensely valuable skills in the adult world, as well as for children. And according to Dr. Connell, no matter if the intention with D&D is just to have fun, it's a safe environment to practice skills. Jay, despite his physical limitations, needed that fantasy freedom, which boosted his outlook. We were actually rounding out a campaign at that time as kind of the the final chapter of very very exciting fi- final chapter of of everything we'd been working up to. So it was a distraction in the ultimate sense. I needed to escape my existence and my body at that time and so from a painfully reclined position on a uh, on a lazy boy i could 
fight a dragon. I could investigate a crime. I could shoot arrows with a plum. It was it was a delightful. It was therapy, and, and I, I don't think I've ever used that word to describe it until today. But that is one hundred percent what it was. It just it allowed me to move. <laughs> it allowed me to be the best version of myself when I felt like I was the most incapable version of myself. The thing I've seen consistently the most in all games of Dungeons and Dragons across all tables, across all editions, is every person that interacts with the game gains self-confidence. It starts with visualizing what they are good at with these numbers and skills and abilities and translates into, yeah, no, I've got this. And that's a lot like with life where life does not give you an obvious solution to a lot of problems, but you have the skills and the tools to figure it out. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I absolutely agree with with Jacob's assessment of it to play the game properly is you kind of, you really have to put yourself out there and you have to put yourself out there in front of people. And, you know, hopefully you have a table with very trusted friends and have a good, have fun. But what you're actually doing is you are, you're opening yourself up and you're being vulnerable in front of people. And, once that becomes a, pra- a practice, it kind of can't help but manifest itself away from the table. You're going to be emboldened for exposing yourself, for taking risks, for putting yourself out there. It can't help but become a part of you. Do you ever find yourself out in public, just out without um, your D&D group and, and in a situation where... All of a sudden, you find yourself thinking about your D&D character and kind of going, hmm, mm-hmm. I wonder <laughs> what. what? <laughs> 100% yes. <laughs> I, I don't speak for everybody, but for thing, I put things into my character that, that I would want to see in myself. What was Fletch's role? How did he come, how did he come to life with all of this? What did he do to help? Well, he was, he, I, I would say nothing and everything because he, Fletch did not change one iota in response to my cancer. And it was because I just needed him to be exactly what he was. I needed that world. Like it was, it, 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 it was really scary for a while, but it turned at the end, it turned, turned out they got it from the uh they got it from the surgery everything and it hasn't come back and so far everything has just gone swimmingly in my favor and it's it's <laughs> i can't it you can't describe how joyous that is to say <laughs> we humans aren't wired to feel pain we're wired to avoid it But can good come from situations that make us feel sad, anxious, or frightened? Of course it can. This episode is proof positive. If someone you know is struggling, take them seriously. Listen. Allow them a safe place to be vulnerable. Validate their feelings and continue to be part of their support system. 
And if it's you, remember it's okay not to be okay. There's no shame in asking for help. The only shame is missing out on life. If you or someone you know needs help, contact the National Alliance for Mental Health at 1-800-950-6264. Impactually is created and produced in cooperation with Hum Productions. Our web address is hum, that's H-U-M-M, productions.com. Financial support for the show is provided by JLB Images and those who support us on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash impactually. We'd like to extend gratitude to our guests, Jacob Motz, Jay Garrig, and Dr. Megan Connell. For more information on how role-playing games fit into mental health wellness, how to play Dungeons and Dragons, and Dr. Connell's Geeks Like Us social media page, we have links in our show notes. Special thanks to Earth Radio for their song, Over Again. A link to their website can be found on our website, and their music is available on all streaming platforms. And our team, Christine Murdoch, Senior Producer and Editor. James Nash, Director of Operations. Jack Bechtold, Director of Production. Sound Engineering by Matt Wheeler and Andy Shoemaker. Music Curation by L. Lively of Crooked Tree Creative. Richard Cassis of Spark Inc. for Branding and Graphic Design. Lee Bechtold for Web Design and IT Support. Andrew Sachs for our original music. And I'm Brooke Bechtold, Head Writer, Executive Producer, and Host. Subscribe and listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it as it helps others find us too. We'll be back soon with another extraordinary episode. Everyone has a story. Share. Share.